Hey, Snohomish County, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, another um, kind of we're, we're highlighting different units that we have at the Snohomish County Sheriff's Office, and I am excited to uh, bring these two gentlemen in with me today. Uh, we are going to talk about everything to do with office and neighborhoods. I commonly refer to them as kind of our outreach teams and what the heck does that mean what do they do out there um, we get a lot of questions about this they you guys are probably one of the most high profile units we have to be honest with you get more questions about you guys than even some of the law enforcement stuff we do but we'll talk about both today so officer neighborhoods uh sergeant chellen deputy tegan right tigan tigan sorry yeah. Deputy Tigan. A lot of people say Tegan doesn't bother me. All right, all right, cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad it doesn't bother you. Uh, but hey, I want I want the community to get to know you guys a little bit. So just uh, go ahead, Sarge. You can start off. Introduce yourself. Uh, James Chellen. Been with the sheriff's office since 2005. Before that, I worked at Mill Creek PD. Been in Oon for three years. I think. I think I came in 2020, 2021, something like that. Yeah. Um, just try to keep Lars and. In control. Yeah. Is that challenging <laughs> daily for you? You just take him off the leash and let him run. <laughs> okay, but I, what's Oon? No one out there is going to oh, know. Oh, Oon, Office of Neighborhoods. That's, what we, that's what we call it. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. Go ahead. Yep. I'm Lars Tigan. So I've been uh, with Snohomish County Sheriff's Office for over 15 years now, started in 2007. Um, worked in a lot of different areas of our department, been patrol lots of places, was a detective in our uh, SIU for crimes against kids, sexual crimes. Uh, for several years, SWAT, um, polygraph, and now I've been doing this since uh, I think June of 2020. I started with Office of Neighborhoods, and I've really been enjoying. It's been a fun place to work. Get to work with some great social workers as well. So yeah, just let cool. us know, and we can tell you about the program. We're going to talk about that, then the social workers part of that for sure. Um, but so just so people know, you guys are our what we call Office of Neighborhoods outreach teams, and you are. Everybody's doing this for the most part. I shouldn't say everybody. A lot of people, departments in Snohomish County, cops paired with social workers. So that's what we're talking about so the community knows. Um, kind of talk about a little bit of the historical perspective. So we, I think we were the first agency to start this in Snohomish County. I can't take credit for that. That started in the former administration. That's okay. But if something's good and it's working well, we're going we're gonna to continue to do it. And we have done so. So uh, we've been doing this for, prob I, I'm guessing, you guys, 12 years? Maybe a little I, more heard, than that? I heard 2015 was the official startup. Okay. But and then I just heard around about the a while. diversion centers hitting its five-year mark soon. Wow. Yeah. So, so that would be... Time flies by. Like the, in June, I think. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I think 15 might be is when it started, I think. Okay. So either one of you, kind of just tell us tell us what you guys do. So <laughs> I, I think this the, the reason that this started was that on patrol and in the community, we were finding that a lot of people were getting arrested over and over and over for the same kinds of things, right? A lot of nuisance type calls where you're talking about people trespassing, people um, who are using drugs in the public, shoplifting, a lot of things that are related to addiction. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, most of the property crimes in general, right? Whether it's auto thefts, burglaries, um, shoplifts, those things are almost always being committed by individuals who are addicted to drugs and or alcohol. So this was brought on as a way to try to address some of those individuals that we're dealing with all the time and say, rather than just arresting and enforcing and taking them to jail, um, having them get out a short time later and go right back to the same thing, what other approaches could we be taking to try to help solve the root problem? Um, and so the idea there was to partner us with social workers 
Um, they're not, these aren't like the DCRs that you hear about that are mental health professionals. These are social workers who help uh, and specialize in getting people into treatment that they need. They help them get their assessments for substance abuse assessments. Um, they can get them in a temporary shelter while they're awaiting treatment, get them into a treatment program. And then there's even a housing component where if someone has followed treatment recommendations, they can get uh, three months uh, at a clean and sober house and they're a good provider. These aren't what they call trap houses. Some people think a clean and sober houses is just places people go and keep using. Um, these places have accountability and they're good providers. Uh, they'll get three months completely paid for and they'll get three more months where half of their rent is paid for. So the idea is to get people clean and then also give them a place where now they can shower, have clothes to change into, they can continue in um, outpatient treatment, but also start looking at work and where they want to go from there. You know, if you take somebody off the street who's homeless and addicted, and you just take them to treatment and get them clean for 30 days, and then you plop them back in the street in the same environment, their chance of success is very, very low, like probably zero, right? It's, it's going to be hard to go from being someone who lives on the street and being an addict, just getting clean and getting set right back there, probably not going to fix the problem. But when you have a social worker pick you up on the bus when you get back from treatment, they give you some basic necessities. You know, they give you an alarm clock, a lockbox for your meds, um, you know, sheets, just those basic basic necessities that someone needs to get started. You know, they can help get people clothes or boots if they need it for work. They can help people get their IDs back. Um, there's just a lot of things they do to try to set someone up for success. So that's, that's what we do on that side when people will accept those services. We still have the enforcement side. You know, we may deal with someone, an individual over and over who continues to trespass or continues to commit crimes. And we're always gonna offer the treatment side of things. But with us there, we also have the enforcement component. And uh, the other thing is that when you think about enforcement and social workers, you know, there's things that we can do and that we can facilitate safely that the social workers wouldn't be able to do on their own. You know, they can do a whole lot of things about connecting people with services, but it's not really safe for them to go out into the middle of, say, some wooded parcels into, you know, camps where there are people with weapons, people with dogs, people with guns. Um, so this is a great way to allow access for them as well. Okay, so. so you mentioned a whole bunch of things there. And yeah, yeah. I'm, we're we're going to get to enforcement. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that because I think I think the community will want to know. Yeah. Because you guys are cops. Oh, yeah. Are we doing enforcement? We'll get there. But you also mentioned a whole lot of, I call them resources. What, what is available out there? Yep. As the sheriff, I get asked that a lot. Like, what is going on, especially this year, what is going on in Snohomish County? Yeah. Are resources available? I, and I always tell people, I don't think there's any perfect example out there or we would all be modeling that example sure. and getting more and more people help um but i just want you to tell the community from your guys's perspective because you're in the trenches every single day just just like you just got done saying every single day you're dealing with this stuff i want the community to know are are there resources for people who are either addicted to substances or people who may just need help a little bit of help in snohomish county right now there are and our social workers are completely connected with all that. Okay. Right? Um, our program deals with homeless and addicted. If you don't fall into those two prongs, there are resources. We have a whole building, the Carnegie Resource Center, they can go to to get information, to get resources. Um, the biggest barrier we come across, the biggest thing we come across is people that want everything, but they don't want to deal with the, the addiction side of it. So mm -hmm. I just want to go live here, and I want you guys to pay for it, and I can do my drugs in there. That's what we don't allow for our program. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, Carnegie. 
I kind of know what that is, but I think the the community would want to. What is the uh, so, Carnegie Building, and where is it? So it's right across the street from where we are right now, off Wall Street. Yeah, I believe it's uh, downtown. Three zero zero one Oaks Avenue would be the address, okay. but. Uh, the Carnegie Resource Center is a place where people can go and get directed to all kinds of different services. Um, and so that's not just homeless addicted population. That could be people struggling, you know, they, maybe they have a place, but they're struggling with their rent or childcare or other things. And it's just a place to help point people. Same thing with calling 211. That's a number they can call to get connected with services as well. Okay. Yeah. Like, like earlier today, we got a call from patrol dealing with somebody who's living in their car. They have a job, they just don't have enough money to get a down a deposit for a place. Sure. So we, the social worker said, 211, housing navigator, and they'll work with you on that. So. And you guys help them figure that stuff out? The social worker sent it to them and okay. they, they have it. Luckily, some of our social workers used to work there, so they know the ins and outs. So I caught something though that, uh, so our patrol ended up dealing with this first. So our 911 call responders, and then they, they can call you as a resource to come and help. Yeah. And actually in the last month or so, we've gotten a good response from patrol. They call us all the time for things. Okay. Even if they're dealing with something, whatever call, Hey, there's a homeless person here. There's a camp there. They send me emails. They send large emails. They call us all the time. They call us all the time to, uh, um, to come out and talk to them. Hey, we got some people out here. Can you guys come talk? And we kind of, how we operate is if patrol calls us, mm -hmm. we'll kind of drop everything we're doing to get to them. Okay. What's a, what's a regular day look for you guys? So it can vary. Um, you know, if we have, if we receive like a call from patrol to check on something, sometimes we'll also get uh, referrals through people submitting tips to the sheriff's office. And it's seen that that revolves around like a homeless camp or something along those lines, it might get forwarded to our unit to look at. Um, so a lot of the time we will have social workers with us in the car. We'll be driving around and we'll be either responding to calls, we'll be responding to reported issues, or we'll be proactively patrolling the areas where we tend to have a higher homeless and addicted population. So that can be anything from, you know, getting off the freeway and seeing a person holding a sign that says anything helps, you know, and just taking the time to pull over and have a conversation with that person. Um, you know, most of them are aware of the resources that are there. Most of them are, are trying to get money and they are feeding their addiction, you know, as well as their other basic needs, right? Um, but it's at least worth coming and reaching out to the person and saying, hey, you know, this is a social worker and now you've got, you know, you can put a face to their name. They can give their business card, you know, when you're ready um, to, you know, get clean or try to deal with that addiction. Um, they have a way to reach out to us. You know, a lot of people on the street don't have a phone all the time. And we always just tell them, hey, anytime you need to talk to a social worker or you want to, here's their name. You can flag down a deputy. You know, we work business hours and we explain that to people. But you can have a deputy call them and leave a message. We can make a plan to meet somewhere. Um, you know, reach out during the day. You can call from, you know, a business if they'll let you use their phone, a buddy's phone, flag down an officer. We try to break down the barriers to communicate with people. Is it common that you guys are told no more often than not? I mean, what's that like? Yeah, and you know, sometimes it's almost, uh, you know, sad or frustrating because yeah. sometimes you feel like you care about the individuals that you see on a daily basis more than they care about themselves. Yeah. Sadly, they're kind of in that clutch of addiction and some of them, I mean, they'll even know. I mean, they'll, they'll tell you, you know, yeah, I'm probably gonna die out here. Like they've just oh, kind of come to that conclusion. Like. I'm not going to change and I'm just going to be doing this until I die. And, you know, it's pretty sad. Um, there's a lot of them that are kind of in the middle, you know, where they kind of say, you know, yeah, I've been thinking about it. Um, and it may take them, 
you know, a long time. It might take a lot of years of getting warnings, going to jail, um, living in really bad conditions. And, you know, sometimes luckily that, that one day it just kind of clicks and they decide to try. Um, I always take it as a win anytime they come into the process at all. You know, even if somebody says, okay, let's, let's give this a try. And they come stay at the diversion center, which is like our temporary shelter for people in the program. You know, maybe they go and they stay there for a few days and they do an assessment and then, you know, they decide to walk away, right? That, that happens a lot throughout the whole process. When it comes to addiction, it's very common that people will get into the process and then they'll walk out at some point. It's never a thing where they can't come back and try again. And I always feel like, you know, if they've at least got their foot in the door, we've kind of overcome one barrier of, you know, the unknown and what's it going to be like. Now they have an idea. They know they've done it before. You know, they so can I try again. I want the community to kind of hear that and kind of talk about it this way. Yeah. Is that, so let's say someone like your example you gave comes in the door, maybe they come in the diversion center and they walk away. Mm-hmm. I want everybody out there to know, we're not, we don't give up on, on a, hu- a fellow human being nope. though. Nope. You could run into that same person the next week, the next month, something yep. like that. Yep. And it's going to be the same thing. Is, yeah. is that true? Yeah. None of this program is a one and done. Hey, this was your chance. You didn't take it. We're not going to work with you. You know, the only way that people will ever get um, into the program and then maybe be found to be not suitable for our program specifically mm-hmm. is sometimes if they are so severe on the violent side sure, yeah. or the mental health side to where maybe they can't stay at the diversion center. There might still be other options where the social worker will still work with them, try to get them into treatment. Um, there's just some people that are on the extreme side that they can't really function on their own in the diversion center or even in treatment. But that's pretty rare, really. Most people that we deal with are at a level where they can come and receive services. They can get through treatment if, if they will um, make that decision to do so. You know, the thing is, it's a voluntary program. It's, we don't, we're never gonna snatch somebody up and say, hey, you're coming to treatment. It doesn't work that way. Um, so the person has to be able to, or has to be willing to, you know, say, okay, let's try this. Um, so yeah, when you say, you know, how often are we hearing yes versus no? You know, a lot of people on the street, we've talked to them over and over and over again, and they've refused those services over and over again. Some of them, you know, even after being arrested many, many times. Um, but again, you know, once in a while we get that success story where they decide to make a change. There's also some people that uh, we run into a new face and they didn't actually know these services were available. Yeah. And some of those are the more likely to accept services right away. They said, well, hold on a second, you know, maybe they've come to the county more recently. You know, our, our services are for those struggling with addiction and homelessness in Snohomish County. It's not meant to have people come here from from outside, yeah. but say you're living here now and maybe you more recently became homeless due to your addiction. Um, it's a great way for us to have contacts with people and to find out about the services and some so of those people. Yeah. You kind of said this already and you explained it pretty well, um, but I, I, again, it's just to kind of clarify, because I think people sometimes they drive around Everett, they drive around South Everett and we see stuff, right? We see yep. people, I, I would describe the human beings in need, right? Yep. And they're like, what are the cops doing about it? We can't just go up and grab somebody and say, you're going to treatment today. We don't have the authority to do that. I don't know that we should have the authority to do that. Maybe someone else. Um, but I just want to make it clear. We, we can't do that. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. The only way we can you know, take someone against their will is more on that um, if they're an immediate danger to themselves, immediate danger to others, right? And that usually is looked at as, as pretty immediate, pretty extreme, right? If, if they're continuing to fall down, passing out in the street, it might meet that problem. Sure. But if they're just sitting on the street, talking to themselves, acting strange, but they're not actually um, trying to assault anyone and they're not trying to hurt themselves, 
um, you know, and they say, no, I'm okay. You know, they know where they are. They know where their service is. You know, we may look at them and see that they're in a really bad place, but n not be able to have the power to, you know, involuntarily take them to right. the hospital. Right. And even when we can do that, it's not that we can involuntarily take them and bring them into a long-term treatment plan and yeah. housing. It's yeah. that we can take them for their immediate safety. It's immediate, and within, right then and there. you know, hours, yeah. usually they've talked to a doctor. Yep. They've been deemed to be not a threat at that moment, and they're released back out into the community. So, you know, this is trying to look at the more long-term goal and way that we can help people right now like okay. you said maybe at some point as a society we're going to have to start saying look there's too many people that are struggling with this and that aren't able or willing to make that decision to seek treatment so maybe we look towards something where you know through the court when they say they get arrested for a crime and they're found to be struggling with addiction you know it's a sentence of you go serve some time or you go to treatment yeah. you know maybe yeah. maybe something I'll say along it those is lines the sheriff. I, I i think we're there with the fentanyl epidemic that's out there i think we're absolutely there i think it would be more humane in a very careful way you know we want to protect people's rights as, as well that's also very important to me um but yeah i think it's time we start talking about this it's probably a bigger issue than a county issue though Oh yeah, probably need to talk about that at a state I, I level. I think it's, to a, begin it's with. certainly a state level. Yeah. It's country. I mean, it's it's. I think it's probably yeah. even world level. With it's some not of unique stuff. to Snohomish County. That's certainly safe not. to say. Certainly not. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Right. And I, you know, I think overall, we do a pretty good job of doing a lot of that outreach, but also some of that enforcement. I mean, you'll you'll see places where there are a higher density of you know RVs on the road, or you'll see camps pop up occasionally but we do our best to address those things both for those individuals that are struggling and also for the community um, you know when you've got kids walking to school and they have to walk by someone laying on the side of the road smoking drugs mm -hmm. right we don't think it should have to be that way um, same thing with business owners you know when they've got people constantly sleeping in front of their doors or you know urinating in front of their building having their pants falling down in front of their i mean there's just a lot of problems going on. And so we're trying to help uh, do the enforcement side of not letting people behave that way or break the rules, the yeah. laws that we've yeah. put in place as society, right? But also be able to say, hey, here's the alternative. You could come with us and we can put you into um, temporary shelter. We can get you into treatment. Um, you know, if they don't like that, then I just have to explain, you know, in this, in this county where we're working, we are gonna enforce these things. So, you know, we highly recommend, let us try to help you. Um, and otherwise, you know, maybe they want to go somewhere else. I don't know because, you know. So otherwise. we need to dive into that a little further. So yeah. I think yeah. I think Snohomish County is different because um, I think we do. I think we do a really good job. Again, there's no panacea out there. A good job at helping people when they need help. But if, if enforcement's going to get the job done that day, we're doing both. And you kind of just mentioned that. But I want, I want the people to know that. So how, how is Snohomish County different than, let's just say, some other jurisdictions that might uh, adjoin our county? I think some of it is if they're committing a crime, we can book them into jail. Okay. There's a lot of... So you, you have the authority to do both from me, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So when we come across somebody, you know, we, we try to talk to them. And, but if they're committing a crime, uh, chances are they're going to go to jail. And we have the ability then to say, hey, look, come talk to us, social workers. If you're in the jail, they can come talk to you at the jail. If you get out, whatever it is. But we also have to think about the business owners, the citizens, the people that they're victimizing. Like we have to give them some relief too. Mm -hmm. And I think Lars does a good job of balancing that, right? Of not just going, oh, there's nothing we can do and, and driving on. It's just like when we're talking to the people on a hot day, 
we go buy a case of water, some ice, we have an ice chest. Sometimes walking up with somebody who's holding a sign saying, hey, yeah. here's a water, can we talk? Nice. And that'll get them willing to talk to us because a lot of times we get the, you know, the FU, oh, yeah. they don't want to talk to us, mm-hmm. so they see us and they run away. And, um, but maybe on a hot day or a cold day, we can get them to talk to us and then that might get them to engage and just little steps, little steps, and then maybe they'll go. Um, we, we get a lot of buy-in from patrol. Patrol tells us stuff, hey, RVs are over here, we see camps here. We try to jump on it. We, if you let it build and get too big and too massive and out of control, it's hard to come in when you have 50 tents set up. But if you have two tents, yeah. you come in and talk to them and you can, hey, you can't be here, this is private property, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's easier to get them to move along once they get settled in. So we were talking before and you told me you had a, a recent story that you thought was going to go the enforcement role, which means for someone's getting booked into jail for something that you saw happen, but then it changed. Can you tell that story? Yeah. So a couple of Fridays ago, um, I'm leaving the South precinct in Mill Creek. 911 call comes out about a recklessly driven vehicle on 164th heading eastbound where I'm at. So I take the call, I go up the hill, I see the car pass me, the guy kind of gives me that look, you know, the, the oh crap, there's a yep. cop look. So I flip around, I'm a couple cars behind him, he's trying to lose me, jets across a couple lanes to go southbound on 527. I get behind him, doesn't have a plate on his vehicle, so I light him up. He turns in and you know, you know as a cop that he's gonna run. You can just feel it, you can see how he's moving. So. He looking to run, he stops his car, he jumps out of the car right away, giving me all these indicators that this is gonna go bad. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as I find out who he is, he's suspended. I'm like, you're under arrest for driving a suspended license. Handcuffs go on, he's there. I'm talking to him, he then mentions that he's homeless. He's got a little puppy in the car. So I'm getting some rapport from him as we're talking and we have the conversation of, you know, you can't drive, it's illegal for you to drive. That's why you're arrested. Um, we go around and around and then he, he wouldn't admit at first that he was, that he used drugs, he kind of was trying to hide it. I'm like, look, man, I go, I got a social worker in my car. You talk to her and listen to what she has to say. I'm gonna go talk to my partners over here and maybe we'll come up with something different besides you going to jail. He talks to a social worker, he agrees to go in the program, immediately goes into it. He's got a car and a dog that we work on taking care of and the dog, we have a, a with the Everett Animal Shelter, dog can stay there while he's in treatment. So he gets um, the dog back eventually, He gets the right? dog back. Okay. He, it was a puppy he just got like a couple days ago, yeah. so dog's getting spayed there. He gets it back when he's done with treatment. Yep. Um, his car needed a place to store his car, so we stored that somewhere. Mom and dad came, said goodbye to him. He went with us, and he's in treatment right now. Mom and dad sent the social worker to thank you email because they didn't know he was that wow. bad. But that was, we all, even the social worker, when we talked afterwards, were like, that went from, first of all, I thought the guy's trying to run for me. Yeah. Okay, and I'm thinking with the new laws, can I pursue them? What's going on there? Trying to get that to my list. <laughs> then when you show up on a traffic, when someone stops on a traffic stop and jumps out, yeah. then you're thinking, oh, the fight's going to be on and what's yeah. going on to, you know, best case scenario. And as I told the guy when I saw him um, a couple days later, I'm like, hey, that was like worst case scenario because you're thinking, oh, crap, the cops are pulling me over, mm-hmm. you know, and he's all fired up. I'm like, to the best case, now you've got, you're going to have a place to stay, yeah. all this stuff. And so it, it's funny how those things work out. And that went from, an enforcement situation to, you know what, it's probably best served not going through the courts. Let's work on this and now hopefully he'll be he'll be housed and will be clean. That is uh, actually a, r- a fantastic example of, of, of both. Because yeah. it could have gone either way, right? And yeah. uh, you guys have the freedom out there to make those discretionary decisions as you see fit. Um, 
Yeah, thank you for handling that that yeah. way. I think that's pretty cool. I think yeah. the community will want to know that. Uh, real quick, um, we've mentioned the Diversion Center several times, but I don't think everybody, most people I think know what that is by now. Maybe we all do, but can you explain what that is? I think it's fairly unique to Snohomish County, but I think it's pretty cool something we're doing. Yeah, and it's so the old work release section of the jail, it's actually connected to the jail, but it's not being in jail. Right. Um, and it's being used as a temporary shelter for people who are working with social workers in our program or some of the other similar programs from other agencies. Um, the staff at the Diversion Center are Pioneer Human Services. They're the ones contracted to run it. Um, basically, it's a place where if they need detox before they come there, um, they can go get a medical detox done. Um, or if they don't need that, they can come right in there. Um, they get checked in. They have a place to basically stay. They can get uh, issued their medications that they need. If they need to go to court or go to an assessment, um, they'll get transportation to and from that. Um, but while they're choosing to stay there, they can't just come and go on their own. Okay. So it's, it's, it's used as a come and stay facility is what they normally call it. So you're never going to be told if, if you decide you don't want to be there anymore and you're going to leave, you're never going to be told you can't leave. But if someone does uh, leave the diversion center, then they're not allowed to check back in for two weeks is the general rule. And the reason for that is because they're trying to keep it a clean facility. So when you're coming and staying there, they don't want people uh, leaving, coming and going on their own because then they're going to go. Inevitably, they're going to use drugs. Potentially, they're going to bring them back or they're going to come back high, which you know, ruins that for everybody else that's staying at the facility. But basically, uh, men stay on the upper level of facility. Uh, women stay on the lower level. Um, very, very rarely have we ever been at capacity. And the whole time that I've been in the unit, there might have been like a couple weeks of of the year where we actually had all the beds filled in the diversion center, okay. or at least all the male beds. We tend to have more male beds filled in than female beds on any given day. Um, but yeah, they basically have a safe place where they can stay. They're hanging out uh, in their free time. They're just watching Netflix, you know, drawing, sleeping. A lot of them need to catch up on yeah. their sleep. They're getting, you know, three square meals a day. They've got extra snacks there as well. They'll be provided cigarettes and smoke breaks every two hours during the day. Um, so it's just meant to be a safe environment where they can be clean. They can be as healthy as possible. And it's temporary. It's, it's usually people are there for one to two weeks while they get their assessment and get put into a treatment program. You know, the social workers work with people. Some people have done a program that they didn't really care for. So they help them get a bed date at a different program um, or there's different needs for different people. So. so it's someone who's voluntarily said to you guys or a social worker, um, yes, I need help. Yes, I want to get treatment. But sometimes there's a lag between you can find an official bed yeah, for treatment. Certainly. So is the divergence, is it immediate? Like if it happened out there tonight, could you take someone there right now? Yeah, the only, you know, the only restriction to it is that you do need to be working with a social worker to check in. So it's something where when they actually check in, it needs to be during daytime hour, you know, Monday through Friday when their social worker's working. Um, and usually kind of the 8 o'clock to 5 o'clock p.m. kind of time frame. But... Um, yeah, it can be immediate. We, we can be out there talking to somebody on the street and they're like, yes, I'm done with this. Or, you know, I'm, I'm freezing cold and I, I want to give it a try. And we can act, just take them right then, bring them to the diversion center. If they have more belongings on them, uh, then can stay with them there. There's uh, temporary holding of, the, of those. The social workers have a building where they can secure their belongings and hold them until they, if they voluntarily leave, we'll get them back to them. Uh, or say they go to treatment when they get back, we've got their belongings for them. They try to do as much as we can to break down the barriers. You know, yeah. we talked about the dog, right? For a long time, it was tough because you can't have a dog at the diversion center. Most treatment facilities, you can't have a dog. Um, you can't 
park a car right here at this spot in Everett because your car will end up getting a ticket or impounded, mm -hmm. right? So we try to come up with ways to fix that, and that's why you know we can park cars for people if we need to. Usually, we try to get them to leave it with a friend or family member. You know, a lot of people have more support when they're actually taking that step of going into treatment. You know, there's some some people where, you know, I can't stay with my family. They're not going to help me because I've burned that bridge so many times. But if they know you're coming to treatment, maybe they're willing to let you park their car. Um, and with the dogs, you know, having the partnership where they can now go stay at the shelter, they'll be taken care of, and then they'll get released back to the individual. That's that's a big one for people. So cool. And it was created. I think it stemmed from when they started the program. The social workers and the deputies would go find someone. Okay, we'll meet you here Tuesday at 7 a.m. to take mm -hmm. you to an assessment. And they wouldn't show up. Uh, yeah. So that's what this is for. It, it, you know, so we know where they're at, so we can get them. Um, the gentleman I talked about earlier. He went right there, and he was over the week, and the next day he had a court date. Well, he was able to do the court date, told the judge, hey, I'm in this program, and he got a lot of, uh, I guess, accolades or freedom from the judge then because he's engaged in a program. Oh, nice. So there's a lot of things they can do if they're engaged in a program to help them out. Like Lars said, we try to break down the barriers. Whatever they are, we try to break them down, so then it comes down to, hey, you got to want to change. It's, you know, it's your decision. We're here to help you out. Do what we can, but it's on you. Another thing that probably not a lot of people know about and that makes the Diversion Center important in another way when we talk about the enforcement side, mm -hmm. you know, there is case law now that if someone is exercising a basic human need, say they have to sleep somewhere, right, or they have to go to the bathroom somewhere, we can't punish them for that if there's not an alternative. And where that comes into play is when you talk about uh, public property like DOT property or county-owned properties where maybe it's just a wooded parcel that's not developed um, and people have started camping there. If we can't provide an alternative that's uh, for them to sleep, an alternative place, right, then we can't arrest them for sleeping, right? Everybody has to do that. So uh, that's another part of having the Diversion Center is we have an immediate place where we can take you to a safe location where you can sleep, you can eat, you can use the restroom. Your basic needs are being met as an alternative to breaking the law and illegally camping or trespassing somewhere. If we didn't have that option, then we're relying only on local shelters and what's available. And we somehow need real-time information to be able to say there are alternatives right now. Otherwise, we, we don't really know. So it's a big um, help in that way in that it's there for the individual. And we know when we're enforcing, we're not being overly harsh here. We're not taking away their human needs. We have an alternative, a good alternative for them. And they don't have to take it, no, but they're making that choice. So if they're going to choose, no, I'm not willing to do that right now, they're going to have to find another option other than breaking the law through trespassing or illegal yeah. camping. And some places might not have that option. And that case law may now limit their ability to enforce some of their local ordinances or laws. So that's another reason it's very important for us as well. Okay. And I know we're here talking about specifically what Austin Neighborhoods does, but there's a, another deputy that works for you, Jay. Um, and it, a little bit different, though, but he still reports to you. Yep. Um, can you just tell the community a little bit about what he does? We call him kind of our nuisance property deputy. So, but it's, again, when people contact me in my office, it's 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 usually regarding these, these issues we're all talking about today. And nuisance properties, man, when they flare up, they can be a big deal. Yeah. They're emailing council members. They're emailing the exec's office. They're emailing me. So just a little bit. I just want the community to know that we're doing that portion of this work as well. So Jay's the other deputy, and he's yep. the chronic nuisance property okay. deputy. Um, he deal. He works with code enforcement, health district, animal control, 
parks department, whoever he can. So think of these properties that have been long-time problem properties that are just spilling out, ruining the neighborhood. Jay has a passion for that. So he really goes in and addresses the issue. And again, it's a lot of outside-the-box thinking. He also has a social worker that goes with him. Uh, we were all together earlier on the property, so we'll work as a team on ones. Okay. Um, and we just try to come in and try to solve the problem, whether that means sometimes it's just helping people because they're overwhelmed because they have 500 broken-down cars and they need help getting them off their property. Sometimes they need help with other things. So it's a big thing. Um, the other thing that he kind of takes on, which I'm sure you get a lot of complaints on, are just parking complaints, yeah, okay. just broken-down cars in the streets. It's something that by default we kind of are the ones that deal with that now a lot. Jay has a knack for those as well. Jay has a passion. <laughs> Jay has a passion for those. So, he does, yeah. So since he's been in it, that's what he he like he he, well, he it's likes so, to do. It. And so, what's so important, even if it, it is, it's one deputy that we have doing it. Let's just be real. And it, we're a large county. But what we have found when when we weren't able to have Jay doing that work, patrol's not going to get to this stuff all the time. They'll respond to an emergency, right? You call nine one, we're coming, right? But then after that, they'll they'll try to triage that, and they're off to you know ten more calls that shift. 20 yeah. more calls that shift. So having even one deputy to coordinate some of these nuisance properties, kind of a game changer. Would you guys agree? Certainly. I think yeah. so. I mean, I think it, it takes a long time for yeah. these properties to build up and it takes yeah. a long time to break them down. But just to come in and, and be able to do the basic, the, the first things, get rid of the broken down cars that are on the county right away. People that are calling in see that relief and go, oh, look, they're doing something. So that helps out a lot. And um, I mean, yeah, he's one guy, but he works hard. Yeah, same, <laughs> same thing on what we do when it comes to helping patrol and the community. Um, you know, lots of times we get calls about someone sleeping in front of a building or someone maybe shoplifting or trespassing, you know, someone who's not supposed to be at a property anymore. Um, I know all our patrol guys care and want to help our community on all the calls we get. Um, but we also, you know, like everybody, we're not fully staffed. We're somewhat understaffed for, for the amount of people we have, Absolutely. right? We, we work on that all the time. Um, but sometimes you got to do more with less. And when our guys are on patrol, they're going to have to prioritize the calls that they respond to. If we have shooting calls, domestic violence calls, you know, in-progress burglaries, those kind of things are always going to take precedent over these smaller kind of nuisance things. And we want the community to know that they are being heard and we do yeah. care. Um, so that's one thing that, you know, we're out here – we don't specialize in those other things. Obviously, we'll back patrol in emergencies if we're in the area, um, but we're oftentimes more available to come more quickly to those kind of calls, and we're used to you know, getting letters on file with owners if they need to have a no trespassing letter, um, trespassing subjects if they need to be, to be told you can't come back to this property. Just responding to some of those things that aren't necessarily an immediate you know, emergency. They're not a life or death emergency, yeah. But there's still a big um, problem or issue in our community, and so it helps patrol. It helps to take that off their plate sometimes. Helps us get there quicker for our community members. So on the way here, there's a call down way down deep, Esperance, South Edmonds area, two twentieth, far away from where we are usually. Yeah. But it's our area, and I think there's a homeless guy in the gulch. So I called her. Hey, this is who I am. This is the unit I run. We'll be down there tomorrow. Just so you know, patrol is going to be busy, but I'll take care of it tomorrow. And they're grateful just to hear that. Yeah. And it takes it off patrol because, you know, a patrol guy having to get down there, it won't happen for hours because it's not high on their priority. Yeah. So just 
those are kind of things that we a lot of what we do and yeah. help so, patrol out. So like what you're just saying, <coughs> emergencies you guys will respond to and help patrol. Sure. Just to be clear, you guys are your own unit and you do this work that we're talking about today. That's your full time job. So I kind of describe it as you're not tied to nine one one calls. Right. So if we get a cold theft somewhere or something like that, you guys aren't going to that stuff. You are dealing with the homeless, those addicted to substances and things like that. That is your business week. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We do. I mean, we pay attention to patrol. So if patrols having one of those days and yep. they're they're short staffed, um, they'll call. Hey, can you cover here for now? I, I've covered supervisory stuff because they got a guy out. Yep. So we we're tied in with patrol and we help them out. But then on the flip side, they'll help us out when we ask for help too. Okay. Put you both on the spot just a little bit. So sorry. If you could, if you could, if you were the rule maker in Snohomish County in your area of expertise, just give me one thing that you would change today. Can you come up with something on the spot? I would create a court, like a community court, where all these people that we deal with have to sit in front of a judge with a prosecutor that is tied, linked in with us, and said, if you don't, you don't just kick them out. If you don't go with the program and get treatment, then you're going to jail. I mean, you have to create this exterior motivation to get them to change. I think with fentanyl, it, it overwhelms their ability or drive to do anything else totally. but get more fentanyl. And so it's hard to break free from that. So I think that you need to have a court that just, it's kind of a zero tolerance. Look, you, you go down this path or you go to jail and these are your choices. Yeah. yeah. I'm, and I'm really on the same mindset. I mean, that's really where I think we're going to have to continue to improve as a society. I, I, I love what we do and what we can offer people, um, but we're not seeing enough people take advantage of the voluntary services. And on the flip side, you know, granted, if everyone on the street suddenly said, yes, sign me up, we're going to treatment, there wouldn't be nearly enough resources, right? Right now, we are basically never at full capacity. We always have enough resources to give to the people that are willing to accept it. We usually have more than we have people coming in. Um, but I think we are going to have to go around where we do create more treatment facilities. Yeah. And maybe it's something where those facilities are partnered with corrections or the courts to where, um, you know, if you are continuously getting arrested for crimes and you're committing these crimes because you are addicted, then maybe we need to start diverting people, um, but in a more mandatory way. And that's, that's kind of what we're talking yeah. about, you know? So, okay, you've gotten arrested for trespassing and stealing from this place, you know, five times in the last month, here's the deal. You're either going to spend a, a longer time, like actually spend 60 days in County or rather than just sitting and, and spending time as punishment, we can divert you and sentence you to serve time actually getting treatment, actually getting set up with something that's going to help you. So I think that the treatment and the housing um, facilities are going to continue, need to continue to grow, but we might need to come up with a better system where we are mandating that people do this or serve some more serious time as a deterrent to continuing to just live the way they are, barely getting by. You I'm know? glad you said I totally agree. I totally agree with you. I don't know that the rest of our county or state is, is ready for that. I do think the tide is turning, though. I think we're getting there. And I think fentanyl is, is the one that's changing, changing people's well, minds on that, if I, I had I, to say that. I think so, too. I think it's a huge difference. When we, we were gone for six months or yeah. so, and when we came back, fentanyl had taken over. Yeah. And it changes their drive. I, I've talked to some of the people in our program, and he's like, yeah, I've been a 20-year meth user, and I, I'm using fentanyl. And it's, it's just a, it's more of a mental drive. Wow. All I can do is think about getting my next drugs. And so when that takes over, it's you need that exterior motivation. You need some kind of, I call it tough love. I mean, if you're yeah. a parent, it's tough love. Yeah. You know, you're not, you, that's all it is. 
Well, and maybe, you know, say somebody gets in trouble and, you know, they're going to get sentenced to 30 days or something and they just say, I don't want treatment, I'm going to go serve my time. I mean, maybe being clean and in a facility for several weeks, that on its own might help. I mean, we also have services they can start while, while in jail, right, while in custody. Yeah. And we have mental health professionals and social workers that will contact people while they're in custody. So maybe even if uh, at, the, at the point that they are facing a judge, they're not ready to go to treatment, maybe a few weeks in, their mind would start to change. You know, it's hard to make good decisions when you're in a, a daily fog cycle of yep. either barely functioning because you've just used and you're just super groggy and hard to stay awake even with the help of using methamphetamine. Most of them are using fentanyl and methamphetamine. They need the fentanyl just to not feel sick and in pain, and then they need the meth just to barely function at that point because they've put themselves so far down. Um, so it's a terrible cycle to be in, and you know, being clean from that for a few weeks might make a big difference on people making a good decision for themselves and for their own future. Cool. So. All right, I think we're about to wrap up. What was the stat you gave me before we Got out here and started talking. Oh, as far you, as you got to say, go. yes, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, here's the thing. I, I contact a lot of people. I give a lot of warnings. I issue a lot of official warnings, right? So I'll, I'll issue official trespass notices, yep. official diversions from, you know, you were smoking. We're going to put you in touch with a social worker. You're not going to jail today, but yep. we're documenting it. But I also do a lot of enforcement. I mean, it, with our agency consistently this year, I know every month I've been the deputy that has the most arrests in our agency. Um, and that's simply because, I, like you said, I'm not tied to 911 calls. Mm -hmm. I don't handle a lot of paper yeah, calls, yeah. right? Uh -huh. um, but I do handle a lot of enforcement when it comes to people using drugs on the street. If you are you know, smoking fentanyl in public on our street and I come across you, if you have already had multiple official documented warnings about using drugs, then I am likely going to be booking you into jail. And I'm, gonna, I'm super going to push the let's get you set up with yeah, a social absolutely. worker. And when you come out, let's get you in. Um, but we will do the enforcement side. So a lot of trespassing, a lot of warrants, a lot of drug use. Uh, I'm taking people to jail. So All part right. of the job. We're doing both. Yep, part All of the right. job. All right. Uh, thank you guys for coming in. I really do appreciate the work you do. I think the community does too. And like you just mentioned, Sarge, there was about a six, seven-month period where you guys were there, and we felt it as an agency. And we are so blessed and honored and thankful that you guys are back doing your work. It's, uh, it's critical work to be done. It's good work. I'm a huge second-chance guy, so anytime we can help somebody out, I want to make sure we're doing that. And it, so it sounds like we are. Yeah. So thank you guys for what you do every day. Yeah, you're welcome. Glad to be back. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. It's all Lars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>